Our scripture this Sunday is Psalm 19. As we approach God's word, let us pray. Gracious God, as we turn to your word, may the spirit of God rest on us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, the decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mercifully, in our neighborhood, we have a playground, and it has been a godsend in this pandemic. One of our twin daughters, Zanna, loves it when I acquiesce and I go to the park with her, and she always asks me to get on the seesaw that's there. Such an act is, of course, totally unfair, for as a person at least three times her size, when I sit on the seesaw, Xana flies into the air, and when I stand up, she plummets. There are squeals of delight. Now, of course, I have all the, the power and the control, and at this stage in her life, she takes great joy in that. I know that will change. I wonder, have you ever been in a conversation about something that really matters to you 
and the person with whom you are speaking? Have they ever used scripture in a way that feels like they have all the power on the seesaw? They quote a verse supporting their view and they wield that with dead weight. I can't imagine that that makes you squeal with delight. Last week, as we began this series, Jarrett spoke of one of the tools we Presbyterians use to interpret scripture. And that is, we read the book, the whole book, through the lens of Jesus Christ. Today, we turn to a second tool, that of interpreting scripture with scripture. In the resource that helps us guide our use of Holy Scripture, we read this. Texts should not be selected arbitrarily to support a position in disregard of other texts that qualify or contradict the position. Neither should one text be used to authorize a theological decision without consideration of its relation to the whole of Scripture and its unfolding movement. In other words, proof texting is not our way. Rather, we hold the whole of scripture as we consider questions that deeply matter to us. And church, if we heed this tool, this ethic, this way of engaging God's word, our reading will not be simple. We won't be able to quote one thing and say that's it. Rather, we will be placed in the middle of a most sacred dialogue. Yes, that's that. And what about this? A back and forth. Seesaw. Did you know that the etymology of the word seesaw is from the French, sisa, meaning here, there, this, that. Perhaps the most obvious dialogue in scripture is between law and gospel, what God requires and how God freely loves, what's expected of the faithful and what grace covers when we fail to live up to expectations. Scripture says, keep my statutes and ordinances and by doing so you shall live. And scripture says, a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Scripture says, can faith save you? Faith without works is dead. And scripture says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works. <sighs> When it comes to law and gospel, many have been and still are tempted to say, there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament one, essentially saying the law is of no use. We have one God, and it seems to me that such an act cuts off the dialogue altogether. I am as reformed as the rest of y'all, raised on a steady diet of grace alone. None of this earning our way into God's heart, no way. 
but does God not have expectations of us? I love how our forefather, John Calvin, entered this dialogue. He said the law had three uses, has three uses. One is it's a mirror showing us how unlike God we are and thus throwing us into God's arms. Two, it's there to curb our messed up behavior. And three, it's there as a guide for us to respond to God's grace by showing us a way to live. We need it. We need both law and gospel, this and that. I'm reading a book right now, The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters. And the author has a chapter about guest lists at gatherings and she uses the phrase, the kindness of exclusion. And I admit I stumbled over it, feeling it an oxymoron, but it brings up another one of these quandaries of our faith, that of insiders and outsiders, chosen ones and everybody else, the faithful and the foreigner. Scripture says to the Israelites, when the Lord brings you into the land that you are about to occupy, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, you must utterly destroy them. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry, for that would turn away your children from following me to serve other gods. You are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord has chosen you out of all the peoples on this earth to be his treasured possession. It's a hard word. Rachel Held Evans wrote about such texts. And she said there are generally three kinds of people. Those who accept without question that God ordered these military campaigns in Canaan and likely supported others throughout history. Those who are so troubled by the notion of God condoning ethnic cleansing, that it strains their faith or compels them to abandon it. And three, those who can name all the Kardashian sisters and are probably happier for it. But people of the book, we are asked to interpret scripture with scripture and after these troubling stories in the book of Joshua, we come to the book of Ruth. And right out of the gate, the author tells us that Ruth is an outsider, a foreigner, not of the chosen people, not an Israelite. The scripture says it almost comically. Ruth is a Moabite from the country of Moab. And what does Ruth do? She sticks with her mother-in-law, Naomi, against all odds. She marries Boaz, a good Israelite boy. And when we read the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Ruth, the Moabite from the country of Moab, is there. She's the great-grandmother of King David. See, saw. And I could go on. In Deuteronomy, we find scripture that says the righteous will be blessed and the wicked will meet misfortune. And then 
We have Job, the very picture of righteousness and faithfulness, whose life falls to pieces in the blink of an eye. It's a theological protest to the prosperity gospel. This, that, see, saw. Christ's kingdom is not of this world, and the kingdom of God is at hand. We have to take in the whole. Scripture interprets scripture. Parenting during the pandemic is something. And much to her chagrin, I do not always take the time to seesaw with Santa. The best, the best is when the twins, when they go to the park together on their own. The best is when they get on the seesaw and on each side of that fulcrum is a six-year-old body, 40 pounds each. Those two can go all day balancing and bouncing back and forth. May it be for us, church, with our book. In worship, before scripture is read, there is often a prayer for illumination, invoking the Spirit's presence. And many a time, that prayer is taken from the words of Psalm 19. So friends, as we continue this lifelong dialogue, this most sacred conversation, this seesaw with scripture for our work of interpretation. Let the words of our mouths and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.